the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Well, guess who's coming to Iowa? Everybody's favorite Spartacus, Senator Cory Booker. That's right. He's coming to Iowa. The senator from New Jersey is moving on from his I am Spartacus moment during the Kavanaugh hearing just last week. A moment, by the way, that was more heroic than anything I think most Americans have ever seen. According to Cory Booker. Now he's preparing to dazzle Iowa Democrats as the featured speaker at their fall gala in October. Uh, Is it too early for me to start printing Spartacus for president bumper stickers? I don't think so. It's never too early because potential Democratic candidates are already jockeying for position. Seven other Democrats plus Bernie Sanders have made appearances in Iowa just recently each one nurturing their own Oval Office dream. Iowa Democratic Party Chairman Troy Price says, we welcome anybody who wants to help us get Democrats elected in 2018, and we're sure happy to have Senator Cory Booker's help. This dinner is only about the great opportunities ahead of us in this election this fall. I'm sure it is. Now, there's two schools of thought here when you show up in Iowa. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, asking the most popular girl in school to the prom. You can either come out right out and ask her early and often. Hey, whoa, what do you think about me you and me going to the prom? You know, that's what, uh, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders uh, did. The other one is to go. So how you doing? Fine. Yeah. Just wanted to say Hi. Hey, uh, I know we just saw each other yesterday, but I'm back. I, I just, could I carry your books or something like that that would maybe make you notice me? Because then I will ask around, my friends will ask around to see if you like me after you notice me. That is what Cory Booker and so many people do in Iowa. They're just hanging out, trying to see. They don't want to ask. I no 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 I don't want to be president. I just hey Iowa, I'm just here. I could I carry your books home from school? Uh-huh. Booker has placed four staffers in Iowa to work on the campaigns of state Democratic candidates. That's usually an indicator that you want to do something with the White House. But we're talking Spartacus. <laughs> Over the next couple of weeks. If Booker is, is, is photographed wearing a hard hat, kissing a baby, eating pancakes in a small-town diner, or doing all three of those things at once, well, you'll know Spartacus 2020 is a done deal. But why spend time talking about that when there's something more important that actually matters? And even Spartacus cannot help us. I want to begin the show there. Let me take a quick, just 20 seconds break, and then I want to come back with some audio and another piece of a story that you have not heard. We do that now.
It's Wednesday, September 12th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Okay. So we got Spartacus, and that's the news that everybody wants to know, right? Who's running for president in 2020? Does that really affect you at all? Is that is that what is important to you now to strategize 2020? Or is it is it better to look at what the hell is happening to us right now? Because you can have all the slick ad campaigns you want. But who are the Democrats really appealing to? Let me let me play something that came out yesterday. Carol Cook, she's a she's an old timey Broadway actress. Yeah, I remember her in nineteen fifty six when she was Hello Dolly. Uh and uh she was she was coming out of a, of some restaurant or a show or something, uh, with her husband, who was a spry ninety himself. And uh she was asked, hey, what do you think about those people that brought the Trump 2020 banner to the Frozen uh, show? Now, why would you do that? Why would you do that? What is the point? So they brought this big banner. They unfurled it right in the front row. One of the actors broke character and took the thing away and put it backstage. Appropriate. Well... They had to ask. TMZ had to ask. <laughs> Legend Carol Cook about what she thought. And here's what she said. Is that a proper venue for, um, you know, a, a Trumper to, to bring a, a well, banner to? Well, my answer to that is. Oh, this is good. Where was. <laughs> okay, stop. Stop it right there. Stop it right there. Her husband says, oh, this is good. Where would you say it? Her husband, they've already said this multiple times, apparently, because it always gets a big laugh. <laughs> it, it gets a huge laugh. So he interrupts and he's going to say, but no, 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 no. You say it because you're going to be so funny when you say it. Here's what she says. No, you should. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? (laughs) (laughs) That's what you say. You're going to ask me who the hell John Wilkes is. No, I know who John Wilkes Booth (laughs) is. Thank you, darling. He he killed President. (laughs) Where is he when you need him? He has to know. So we need to kill President Trump? Well, he did. The, no. Why <laughs> not? Okay, stop. stop for a second. So she's like, <laughs> John asked me about John Wilkes Booth. I dated him back in the 40s, the 1840s. So she's, she is, immediate. the thing that she has said it so many times, apparently somebody said to her, who's John Wilkes Booth? You're not going to ask me? Oh, thank you, darling. I'm so sick of the stupid people who don't remember, don't know the history of John Wilkes Booth. I live on the Upper West Side, and, and, and there are so many cretins that just don't know their history. So she is, she is taking this to oh, thank you for at least knowing your history instead of Oh, am I going to be in real trouble? 
Then the press says, so you think we should kill Donald Trump? And she said, you have to see the video. She stands there slyly. Her husband tries to laugh it off. <laughs> you know, I didn't know. Oh, no, this joke means something entirely different. I'm sorry. What were we talking about? We're both senile. She says, yeah, why not? Well, I don't know, other than it being an assassination of a president. I, you know, it's usually a bad thing. Other than, you know, even making that joke is, is, is really dangerous. Uh, even though if I would have said anything like that about President Obama, you would have led a team of senior citizens to try to beat me with their Broadway canes. I don't know. Maybe that's why not. So that's the outrage today. Uh, but I'm not really outraged by it. Because I know who she is. And she doesn't affect my life at all. None of those Broadway people do. I don't really care. It should concern the Secret Service. Not that she said it. Not like she's going to be John Wilkes. But that she has said this so much and people have laughed about it so much. I mean... Is the press concerned? Because words do have consequences. You never know, even in a joke. I learned this from them. Between 2008 and 2016, they taught me very, very well that words have consequences. And even when you're joking, you don't know who might be hearing that and what it might cause them to do. They might think you're serious. Well, yes, they might think you're serious. Of course, when she said it, and she said, seriously, well, why not? I kind of took her seriously, you know? I think she meant that. But let's go for today's outrage. That was yesterday's outrage. And if anybody, do we have the jingle? If anybody is addicted to outrage, today's your lucky day. Addicted to outrage. Yes. Here's today's outrage. Um, on Facebook. No, it's got the blue check mark, so this is Twitter. On Twitter, a woman, just, I don't even want to, just give her first name, Cassandra, wrote, who's going to the MAGA meetup tonight? So there's a meetup, you know, where she's at. Who's going? Okay. Uh, Dream Star Justice. Um, he or she wrote in, I'm coming, but I'm coming with a gun, and I expect to get numerous blood-stained MAGA hats as trophies. Oh. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, well, that's okay. We can say things like that on Twitter. That's okay. We can, we, can, we can say that, and the press won't even notice it. Now, here's the thing. Why has... Why did, why did this fail in 1968? Why did this fail? For a couple of reasons. The... the 
communist revolution. And Democrats, if you are not awake yet to see that you are in bed with people who want to shut down capitalism, they want to destroy the Constitution, all you have to do is listen to them. Not all Democrats are saying that, but the social Democrats are. And that's who's running your party right now. You are a you're a host for a virus that is trying to destroy the Western way of life. Now, you can either start taking medicine and I'm not suggesting that you that you take my medicine and you turn into a Republican. I'm not suggesting that I'm saying you take some medicine and turn into a decent American. You separate yourself from people like this. You separate yourself from people who say, you know what? Capitalism doesn't work. If you don't think capitalism works, that's fine. Then state that loudly and clearly. But if you do, you need to say, state that just as loudly and clearly in your own circles and outside of your own circles. There are people on the far left that are now leaving the far left because they realize how dangerous these people are becoming. Not me saying this. People in the far left. They're saying it. They are separating themselves because they realize these guys will kill people. You give them power and they will kill people who disagree with them. Because they're already trying to silence them on the fringes. But they've already also started to take off the masks and say, yeah, we don't believe in capitalism. We don't believe in the Constitution. We believe this is a failure. We've got to try something new. Great. But is that you as a Democrat? Is that who you want in your party? Because anybody who is saying that on my side, I reject Anybody who says, yeah, and I'm going to the pussy ad party and I'm going to I'm going to collect a lot of blood stained pink hats. I reject. I call out. And if I think they're serious, I report them. If that if that was on Twitter, I would. And it was a, a you know, somebody on the right. I would notify Twitter. Oh, that hurts your side. No, it doesn't. It helps my side because the reason why things failed in the 1960s is the violence americans i don't care who you are but the majority of americans and it might be 52% but the majority of americans do not want to overturn the constitution and the bill of rights even if they don't even know really what it means but they certainly do not want to be a part of violence in the streets. They do not want to be a part of killing people. They don't want to be a part of assassinations. Here we are with the same atmosphere of 1968. We have been so blessed not to have assassinations. And you have Broadway stars joking about it. Anybody who's serious is not joking about that. Anybody who really knows what time we're living in, we're not joking about that. We want no part of that. 
And that includes many, I believe, Democrats. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think there is a different kind of Tea Party coming for the Democrats. I think they are exposing themselves now for who they really are, anti-capitalist communists. People who will come and eat their own because they're already doing it. And the intellectual leaders of, of the left are beginning to leave and say, I want no part of this. I am more afraid of the left than I am of the right. And I'm really pretty afraid of the right. The wise people are already, have already caught on and they're getting out. I don't think it will take much longer for the Democrats, the, the people that are your neighbors in the center of the country. I don't think it's going to take much more for them to say, I can't be a part of this at all. But they have to know that they're not just going to be an orphan. We don't have to agree with each other. But as long as we agree on decency, the, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, we can be friends forever. So emergencies, we are facing how many hurricanes or tropical storms are in the in the Atlantic night right now? Four, something like that. Four, and that uh, man, Florence looks really, really, really ugly. They they now have it kind of turning right at the shore and just kind of coasting along the shore and just dumping oh water gosh. all over the place. That it looks, looks really ugly. Devastated, just devastated. This is this is going to be a bad one, uh, and uh, if and, and there's there's three others behind it. Um, please, please prepare yourself. Can you imagine how much money it takes if you lose everything you have in one of these hurricanes, or you you know you you lose your house? You have to go and you have to stay in a hotel and you have to take you have to have food. So what are you going to do? Cook it in the room? Eat spaghettios out of a can for a while? Sure. But what is that going to cost you? The average person cannot afford this. I saw this myself in Houston. These people who were devastated didn't have enough to even go to a hotel. How are you eating? Please prepare yourself. My Patriot Supply, food storage. Each person in your house should have at least two weeks of emergency food. The price this week only is $75 for a food kit that contains 92 servings of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you have one for everyone in your family, you've got two weeks covered. Call 800-200-7163, 800-200-7163, or go to preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. Mercury One is already staging people. We have Operation Barbecue out ready for the hurricane. They will feed tens of thousands of people every day. Team Rubicon is staged in the area as well. And we have 250 semis hauling tools, food, and relief supplies on the road right now. But we need your help. Please, if you can make a donation to uh, aid what is potentially a, a massive disaster with uh, Hurricane Florence, please go to mercuryone.org and donate. Uh, mercuryone.org. The trucks are already on the road. Some of our people are already staged there and uh, ready uh, to be able to take care of people and help people. 
But we need you to do your part. Please donate at mercuryone.org. Addicted to Outrage. The new book from Glenn Beck, Addicted to Outrage, is available everywhere on September 18th. Pre-order it now at Amazon.com. So, you know, uh, I worked really a long time on this book, and I, uh, it's, it's, um, it's a book that I feel passionately about, uh, and in the same way that I did about Common Sense. When I wrote that, I felt that I was alone, um, and I considered just releasing it on the on the internet as anonymous. Uh, and then Simon and Schuster reminded me about contracts and the written word, so I couldn't do that. Um, but uh, I felt as strongly about that. In fact, I, I went to Simon and Schuster and I said, "Please don't publish this in hard hardbound. Please, I wanted." I want to make this as cheap as possible. I want this to be $8 so people could buy two of them as opposed to one and give it to a friend. So I have been giving it to some friends and uh, I just got a, an email back from a guy who shall remain nameless um, because he lives in a dicey part of the country where he cannot say who he is. Um, but he is, you know who I'm talking about, Stu. He's a, a, a brilliant guy. Yeah. Brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. And doesn't always agree with me. Um, he said, Glenn, I want you to know I finished the book today. Then I deleted my Twitter account. Not that I used it that much. And Facebook. Let me lead with my conclusion and then walk through my notes. Because I asked him, I said, tell me what you like, what you didn't understand, yada, yada, yada. He said, in the beginning of the book, which is so interesting because I knew it because I hadn't heard from him for a while. And I knew, uh-oh, he's, he's having a problem with this. Let me lead with my conclusion, then walk through my notes. In the beginning of the book, I felt like I was just reading three different books in one. But about two-thirds of the way through, I realized, one, you can't ask or expect someone to read three books. And two, all of the information had to be in a single book and it was actually exactly the right way to do it for a lot of the book i felt like i know what you're saying but i mean you don't you're not talking to me because i don't have an outrage addiction problem but at some point i got the sense of what it must feel like to realize you're in denial and actually have a problem by the last few chapters i had a sense that this was exactly the book i needed to read right now it's been a rough few months, and he goes into some personal problems. One of them was one of my friends, a buddy of mine, I just found out is now a transhumanist who thinks humans need to be extinct and animals are more important than people and religion is just a cover for racist and rapists. I also feel like I'm golden handcuffed in a job and I want to wake up and leave, but I can't and I have to hide who I really am. I don't drink, but I have to admit, I do like some outrage when I come home after a hard day. Hi, my name is blank, and I'm a rageaholic. By the end of the book, I realized this might be the book you were born to write, even if it's before its time. 
I hope people read this cover to cover and don't set it down halfway through and not pick it back up. The ending is the most important part. But here's the thread you were running throughout that stood out to me that I just need to sort out. I've been able to see the clouds on the horizon as long as I can remember. And I know whatever, whatever is coming is building up to something that's going to be a very rough go. I worry there's a big step missing that would be required to make people understand this book. Something similar to rock bottom in AA. I have assumed that it will be civil war or a world war or both. Can we as humans skip over that rock bottom and go right to the healing? That's the part I have to prey on. And I still doubt I'll have the answer. I think for your audience, the answer is yes. But who else? I don't know if you can be a better person without rock bottom. But we all have different rock bottoms. I have friends who are not going to shed their outrage because it feels good. And um, and they like it and they feel that for the first time uh, they're winning. And I can't argue with that. You you are pushing back. You are opening people's eyes to uh, you, you are you are saying the things that you weren't allowed to say to the mainstream media and uh, you've got them on the ropes. I agree with you. However, that is a short-term high, and it does feel good. And I understand, as an alcoholic, that sometimes you're in so much pain that you will pick up the bottle and you will drink. And at the beginning, it just feels good, and you say to yourself, I need this. I need this to blow off steam. I need this to be able to cope with the day. It's been a horrible, horrible day, and I need it, and this just makes me feel better. I even got to a point to where I was saying to myself, I was a better dad as an alcoholic. I have to drink because it slows me down enough to be able to play with the kids and be with the kids, so I'm a better dad. No, I really wasn't. And for, for a short period of time, maybe it did slow me down enough because I'm riddled with ADD. Maybe it did slow me down enough to be able to play with the kids. But in the long run, it made me a horrible dad. Because all the alcohol did was let me avoid what the real problem was. And the real problem is not Donald Trump. That is not the problem. If Donald Trump was sucked into space suddenly because some Broadway actresses had a portal and they could open up the envelope of space and just suck him out. That wouldn't happen because of Space Force, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, That's probably why he wants Space Force. But um, our our problems wouldn't change. They would just move to Mike Pence. So it's it's not Donald Trump and it's it's not that uh, they are the Democratic Party. It's not the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party has been is being consumed because they are playing host to a very dangerous virus. 
And that virus is postmodernism. And once you understand that, you will understand that it relies on chaos. Do you remember when I said years ago, chaos is going to be the operative word? And I remember, I remember because I saw the word chaos uh, with the 12th Imam and the, the ideology of those who are you know, behind the government in Iran is the ideology of the 12th Imam, that he will return and he will wash the world in blood. No, I'm sorry, that the world will be washed in blood by his supporters. And when they create enough chaos, that's when the 12th Imam will return. Well, that's another way of saying Armageddon. But they specifically use the word chaos. And then I noticed Russia, the chief advisor to Russia, is a guy whose symbol is the ancient symbol of chaos. And he's trying to destroy the Western way of life through nationalism, through chaos. What was the goal of, of Russia? Because we're arguing about Donald Trump, we're missing the point. The point was not about getting Donald Trump elected. The point was to cause chaos. It was to pit us against each other and our institutions to get us to not believe in the government, not believe in the FBI, not believe in the election, not believe that, you know, that we can hold fair elections, not believe in the Republicans, not believe in the Democrats. You'll notice what they did is they pitted the Democrats against the, each other. They all, by, all, by the only thing they did was expose them for dividing the party in half. Well, what did that do? That caused chaos with inside the party. Putin is, is applauding. This plan has worked out far better than he could have ever hoped because we've turned on each other. If you know, Lincoln was right, this country will never be destroyed by the, from the outside. It will only be destroyed when we turn on each other in chaos. And when you're afraid because things are chaotic, and when you are afraid because someone is beating up on you, all reason leaves. You go back to your lizard brain. We cannot engage in chaos. We cannot engage in outrage. We must instead re, uh, re-fortify the fort and the walls around reason. And both sides have to do it. And we have to have reasonable conversations Somebody said to me last week, Glenn, I think the big difference between us is you believe in reconciliation and there are people that we cannot reconcile with. And I said, oh, I, <laughs> I understand that. I'm not, I'm not stupid. Martin Luther King did not say, hey, go hug it out at a cross burning. You don't know. They want to kill you. Now, if there is a cross burner who takes off the hood and says, you know what, I, I, I see the error of my ways, I can reconcile with you. But if you still want to kill me, if you're still trying to destroy the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, I can't reconcile with you. I can love you, 
I can despise the things you're doing, and I don't have to hate you, but I'm not going to give you the power over my life to, to uh, make me outraged. That power belongs to me. You cannot make me outraged. My outrage comes from me. And I'll decide when I'm going to be outraged and how I'm going to react to everything that you're doing. And I know that if we are going to save the Western way of life, then we must go to the principles that the Western way of life was was founded on. And that is reason and logic. And yes, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Love one another. Treat them as you want to be treated yourself. Even when they slap you across the face. That is not a retreat. You never retreat from your principles. You, there is a time to fight. But this is not the time. Because that is exactly what they need. They need you to respond and be vitriolic, vengeful, spiteful. Because that's the way to destroy everything that has taken centuries to build. By the way, I'm doing a, um, a virtual book signing tomorrow. So if you want to have your book signed uh, and you're not going to be any, around any of the stage shows that we're doing, by the way, we're going on tour you can find that and the book and the book signing at glenbeck.com slash addicted to outrage. Or just go to the front page of glenbeck.com. Uh, book signing is tomorrow night. You can join now, get signed up, and get in. Uh, and we hopefully will see you while we're on the road. Several cities. We're adding a new one, I think, next week. Um, make sure you join us. Get your tickets now at glenbeck.com. As summer fades to fall, recent market shifts could uh, give homebuyers a leg up in the latter part of last year. In, in July, national inventory of homes listed above 350,000 rose 5.7. Now, that means that uh, there's less buyer competition. Sellers are eager to close before Christmas. That could give you real uh, advantages and, and leverage. Now is the time to pick up the phone and call American Financing. They have access to every loan in the industry. They can even help you with finding the down payment assistance. It's American Financing. They employ salary-based mortgage consultants, and they, they don't work on commission. They work for you. An A-plus rating with the BBB and over 1,800 Google reviews. They offer the convenience of e-sign so you can complete your documents at home. There's no upfront fees. They customize loan programs to fit your financial needs. They're licensed in all 50 states, and they close wicked fast. It's American Financing. If you need a home loan, these are the people to call. 800-906-2440. 800-906-2440. Or online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome to the program. Uh, next week, or uh, next hour, um, we have um, Matt Walsh on, who is a, a deep, you know, orth- Orthodox Catholic uh, who has been following this uh, 
this scandal with the with the Pope and Pennsylvania and the Cardinal there. I, I will tell you, yesterday, uh, the Pope sounded anything but like St. Francis. Uh, he talked about how Satan was exposing these cardinals uh, and, uh, and you know, he, he was not apologetic. He was not seemingly worried about the children. It seemed like all he cared about was the hierarchy of the church, and it was really disturbing. But I, I wanted to talk to Matt Walsh, who's, who is a Catholic on this, and get his point of view and what's really happening and... Where's the Pope going with this? Back in a minute. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour. On tour this fall. Glenn Beck. State of emergency. Now declared in four states on the East Coast. North Carolina... The full brunt of Hurricane Florence now top now topping 140 mile an hour winds, and it's only getting stronger. It's expected to reach Category Five with 150 mile an hour winds by the time it reaches landfall on Thursday. This is going to spend some time and be extremely destructive to the coast if the computer modeling is accurate. A storm this powerful hasn't hit North Carolina for 60 years. To put that into perspective, our president was Eisenhower. The number one movie at the box office was Dial M for Murder by Alfred Hitchcock. Kids were listening to Earth Angel by the Penguins on the radio in their Chevy convertibles. In other words, been a long time. When Hurricane Hazel hit in 1954... 19 people died in North Carolina. Over 15,000 buildings were completely destroyed. Its path of destruction traveled all the way up to Buffalo, New York. 60 people died in Virginia alone. Over a million people in North and South Carolina now are facing mandatory evacuation orders. Tropical uh, Tropical storm force winds will arrive by Wednesday evening with Full hurricane force winds arriving tomorrow. Gas stations are already beginning to run out of fuel as people scramble to fill up their tanks. Five-gallon gas cans. Grocery stores, they're out. Water, batteries, bread, milk. We can say it a million times, the time to prepare is not at the time of crisis. You have to have the bare minimum of 72 hours worth of food, water, and fuel. More bad news. It is possible this storm could knock power out for at least two to three days. 72 hours is the societal mark of real trouble. But last year, Hurricane Harvey brought out the best in not only Texas, but in states like Louisiana. While the hurricane was still raging, if you looked at a freeway in Texas, you'd likely see a convoy of stopped traffic, privately owned boats heading down towards ground zero here in Texas to help out. Disaster struck, and we stepped up. The government did their thing, but we didn't wait for them. 
Today is September 12th, 9-12. This day has been a rallying call for my audience, and I have been talking to you about 9-12-2001 since 9-12-2001. It's when we showed the best of us. It's when politics didn't matter. When we all became Americans. If you're anywhere in the area, I believe we each have a responsibility to help. To, in the next few weeks, go and cut trees. Give space to people who don't have any. Help muck out their houses. Help feed them. If you're able, roll up your sleeves and help out. If you physically can't be there, I would like to suggest to you that you make a donation to Mercury One. Mercury One already has, um, what is it, 200 and, I don't have that note in front of me now. I think it's 210 or 250 semi-trucks already on the road. They have shovels, they have equipment, uh, they have food, they have water. Over 200 semi-trucks are already making their way towards the Carolinas. We already have Team Rubicon there. Team Rubicon is this amazing group of, of former um, uh, patriots and soldiers and sailors and airmen who didn't want to stop serving their country. And this is a volunteer group that we help support that go on the front lines of wherever there is a disaster, help save people, and rebuild their lives. Also, Operation Barbecue is already there in the Carolinas. This is, this is a group that feeds people when there is no food. They just got out of California. They can serve up to, I think, 30,000 meals a day. But we need your help. If you can make a donation on this 912, if we can come together before there's a need, before there is the emergency, I think that will say a lot about us that we're still thinking and we still have our heart in the right place. And I know you. These are Americans that are in trouble. I don't know how they voted. I don't know how I don't know what they think about the president and I don't care. We're in this together. Go to mercuryone.org and make a donation please right now. We desperately need your help uh on uh on our relief fund. Please go to mercuryone.org and donate now. <laughs> It's Wednesday, September 12th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I believe we have Brad Melter uh, on the phone. Uh, he is the author of a new children's book uh, that we'll talk about here in a second called I Am Neil Armstrong. Uh, but Brad, it is, it's the day after 9-11. Where were you on 9-11? I was in Washington, D.C. My nine-month pregnant wife worked in the U.S. Capitol and she was driving to the Capitol after the towers were hit. 
And she said, you know, I wonder if they're going to up security at, at the Capitol because, and then she stopped on the side of the road, Glenn. She pulled over off on the side and said, wait a minute, the Capitol has terrible, terrible security. I have a bad feeling I'm not going to go into work today. And we all know now, of course, that the Pennsylvania flight uh, was believed to be headed to the Capitol. So those people on that flight um, in a different universe with a twist of fate, um, it was headed right for my nine-month pregnant wife. And uh, we owe those people forever. And, and I came outside because our dear friend, Michelle Heidenberg, our neighbor who lived truly across the street from us, um, she was the flight attendant on the Pentagon flight. So needless to say, uh, when we were searching for the 9-11 flag, all the, it was one of the most personal searches we've ever undertaken. I have to tell you, one of the most incredible stories I think I've ever heard. I had no idea that your wife was nine months old and pregnant. I don't even know how that happens. It's oh, yeah, weird. Yeah, but yeah. I was going to say it's an amazing. Uh, <laughs> <nine months> <laughs> um, I want to bring up the I want to bring up the flag because the flag, the one that was, you know, that was flown by the firefighters, that famous shot of the firefighters with the flag, that flag went missing quickly you are the guy who found the flag and 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 returned it to ground zero. And then if it's if I'm not mistaken, your child was just assigned uh, a uh, a homework assignment. <laughs> right. Can we this is this may be the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. All right. So I am leaving. I'm leaving for the book tour for I am Neil Armstrong yesterday. I am an hour away from headed for the plane. My son walks in, my young son walks in and says, Dad, look what our homework assignment is. And it's a homework assignment about the person who uh, finding the 9-11 flag. And my son proudly says, Dad, they don't mention you in it. They just mentioned that a TV show found it. And I, I was like, son, you are going to crush homework tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to crush it. And, and the best part of Glenn, the best part of this is I wake up this morning. I just found this and... It has gone to national news. I put it on my Twitter account. Yahoo just picked it up. It's become a national news story that the guy who found the 9-11 flag, that his teacher assigned uh, an assignment on him, and she didn't even know. So the funniest part of the whole thing is at 6 o'clock this morning, I get an email from the teacher that says, I'm so sorry. I didn't know it was you. And I'm like, it's fine. It was, it was so many of us. It was obviously one of the great blessings of my life is to, is to play a small role in its return. And, and, and the fact that it leads to one of the greatest, con- you know, she said, I said, you don't understand. I need to thank you because this comedy bit is going to play forever. Oh, and your son, your son sees you as a hero. And that's fantastic. I mean, anything that will yeah. reinforce, you know, my dad is cool, I think is, oh, is no, no, great. Right. That's an impossibility, right? So, that's, like, that's like defying gravity is my, my dad is cool. So, yes, we will take it any day. So did, did Yahoo know that on 9-11 you were married to a nine-month-old who was pregnant? <laughs> That's the bigger story. That's it really bigger. is. It really is. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell me about the. Uh, tell me about the book, Neil Armstrong. The reason why I'm having you on is I, I love your books in the first place. Um, uh, I love your adult books, but the children books are just fantastic for children. They teach principles and they teach all about heroes. I yeah. wanted to have you on because uh, Neil Armstrong been in the news recently. I mean, I, I really believe, Glenn, that, you know, it is no coincidence that he's in the news. And it's not just because of, obviously, the ridiculousness that the new movie does, you know, apparently doesn't have him planting the flag. It's not just that I wrote a book. And that, these things happen for a reason. 
I really believe that in all times of history, you don't get the heroes you want. You get the heroes you need. There's a need out there. And I think a, a humble person like Neil Armstrong is the hero we need right now. And I, I wrote the book purposely um, because I wanted my kids to learn that kind of humility. I mean, this is a children's book. It teaches you about, of course, the space launch. But Neil Armstrong used to never use the word I. He used the word we. We did this. His quote was, when they took the Apollo mission, he said, please tell everyone who worked on this that this is their launch. Tell them that they'll be riding with us all the way. And he meant the scientists. He meant the mathematicians. He meant the people who sewed the tailors, who sewed the spacesuit together. Remember when humility was a great American value? I wrote, I am Neil Armstrong because I want my sons to learn that humility. I want my daughter to learn that kind of humility again because we've lost it. Was the outrage over the flag, was that, uh, what did you make of all of that? You know, so here's what I think. I mean, let's be very clear. The movie's not out yet, so no one's seen it. Apparently, I tried, of course, to check it out. Um, apparently, the, the flag is featured predominantly. But let's also be clear. Landing on the moon was an American achievement, without question, right? It happened because the president of the United States said, we are going to do this. We're going to do it together. And it was America who got us there. It was a race against the Russians, truly. Um, I think that the, 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 the big mess up that they made was simply that, they, you know, the star of the movie said, oh, it's a, it's a human achievement. It's not a human achievement. I mean, certainly humans were responsible. It's an American achievement. Um, but from what I hear, Neil Armstrong's sons uh, said the flags feature predominantly. I'm going to trust his family that if they're happy with it, I'm going to be happy with it. And I tend to not want to get in controversies where no one's seen the movie and we just want to have a controversy because we're having mm -hmm. a controversy. That seems, you know, antithetical to what Neil Armstrong stands for, which is, you know, that be humble and let's be calm and let's you know, hold it together. What did Neil Armstrong do, you know, with his with his life after the moon? I, I had I had dinner or yeah. I had lunch with um, uh, Buzz Aldrin and I brought my dad because I thought, how cool yeah. is this that my dad can come with me to have lunch with Buzz Aldrin and uh, and we sat there and, and I have to tell you, it was the saddest. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen um, because he talked about, you know, his alcoholism and everything else. He he got back and, you know, he was just a guy who went on tour to try to raise money and awareness for NASA and, you know, keep things going. He's obviously really accomplished, very, very bright. But how do you beat going to the moon and it, yeah, he couldn't yeah he couldn't let that moment go i don't know if i could but he couldn't let that moment go he's very different than neil armstrong what what happened with yeah, neil yeah. armstrong yeah neil armstrong was a different guy you know they picked neil armstrong instead of buzz aldrin they had this moment where they had to pick who's the first one out that's a choice it's not just who gets to the door it was a clearly calculated plan and they picked Neil Armstrong to be the first one, as opposed to Buzz Aldrin. There was big controversy. Buzz obviously campaigned and wanted to be out there. He was not chosen. They picked Neil Armstrong because of his humility, because he was the guy who wasn't going to put his face on a T-shirt and go out there and try and make money off of it, because he was just going to go back to Ohio and be fine with the achievement. And, you know, I think, you know, the best way you can always show someone's character is look at their childhood. Neil Armstrong, when he was eight years old, the thing he wanted to do more than anything else he wanted to climb this big maple tree in his backyard. And when you climb a tree, 
you got to make a plan. It's a puzzle, right? You grab one branch and then mm-hmm. you got to grab this branch. And as he's grabbing one of the dead branches, the branch snaps. And Neil Armstrong falls 15 feet, lands flat on his back, has the wind knocked out of him. His sister comes running over, says, are you okay? She goes and grabs their mother. The most important thing, and we, this is the opening of I Am Neil Armstrong, the children's book, is this moment. I teach my kids the most important thing that Neil Armstrong does after that moment is he gets back up again. He gets a job mowing grass in a cemetery because he wants to fly. He buys toy planes, saves his money. Then he saves up for a pilot's license. He gets his pilot's license. He's a teenager before he gets his driver's license, becomes a test pilot, of course, an astronaut. And we all today celebrate that giant leap for all mankind that Neil Armstrong took. But we need to teach our kids that you don't get to take the giant leap until you take the thousands of smaller steps before. We've got to teach our kids what hard work really means again. That, to me, is what this children's book stands for. And I think it shows, to answer your question, what and how Neil Armstrong was able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Because he was built from that solid American value system that let him say, I am not my achievement. I'm just a man. Brad Meltzer. That's why he was fine. Brad Meltzer, thank you so much. Uh, I am Neil Armstrong. It's available at bookstores everywhere. His his whole series of children's books are worth um, getting for your children or your grandchildren. They're great. Here's the latest. I am Neil Armstrong. All right. Sponsor this half hour is Simply Safe. Simply Safe home security systems. Great, fantastic protection. Easy to use. Um, we have. Um, I have one uh, in my office that is currently. Um, watching over the ruby slippers and the cup of a carpenter and uh what's the other thing we have in there the oh the darth vader helmet and the uh heart of the sea from uh from uh titanic you know we need a little extra security in there so we have simply safe known these guys for a very long time uh and they were they were five people when they first started out there were five people now they're a billion dollar company because there are companies and homes Two million homes now all across America that are being watched over by Simply Safe. It is a security system that you own uh, that is unbelievably uh, inexpensive, especially when you realize what you've been paying all these years for security systems. It's far superior to anything that's hardwired into your house. Uh, it's top of the line technology. There's no contracts. Like I said, you own it, and it's fourteen dollars and ninety nine cents a month. If you want to have the 24 hour security and again, no contracts. So simply Go there now. Save 10% simply Glenn Beck. So GOP midterm when it comes to the Senate, uh, you know, McConnell's talking about there's a knife fight going on. We might lose the Senate. Well, you might, you might. Whose fault is that? Mine. Who's, whose fault. fault? Whose fault is that? Uh, Donald Trump's? No, it's not. It's the House and the Senate. It, 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 I mean, what did you do? You passed the tax cuts. You've confirmed the judges. Okay, so that's good. Um, you, the tax cut wasn't that great. It was not uh, a great tax cut, though. I think no, it, it improved good. the situation. It, it did. It helped. Mm-hmm. It helped. It wasn't great. You're spending like you're you're out of your mind crazy. Yep, worse than Obama. This yeah. is spending. And that's your fault. That's not the president's fault. That's no, your fault. He signed it, but yeah, everybody's he signed everybody's it. responsible for He's that. He's gonna one. sign anything. The guy would have signed anything back then. You know, if they would have if they would have had cuts, he would have signed it. Um Yes. I, I agree they lost the Obamacare thing. Donald Trump didn't. 
No, he would have signed that too. Yeah. The thing, the only reason why I'm voting for GOP uh, Senate is because, not because I'm for the GOP, not because I think they're doing a great job, is just because we're going to have another Supreme Court justice or maybe two. Uh, and I want to be able to get those three. So the judges thing, and maybe if they surprise me and they're mind controlled by aliens for a day and decide to actually do something good for the country and the constitution, you know, maybe that could happen. Stranger things have happened. It's hard to have a lot of passion about it. Plus if they lose the house, then that's off the table. The potential good thing is except for the, the, yeah, the judges will still be. Judges will still be, and that's important. Yeah, um, and, but the but you but know the, you know the house. Well, the only thing you'll see really from the house being lost is because I mean they're not doing anything. So what do you lose? The one thing you will probably lose is you'll likely get an impeachment of the president, but he won't be removed from office. No. so it won't really. I mean, matter unless there's all that much anyway. unless there's something new, but right. I haven't seen anything. No, there's. I mean, I don't even think a close Senate. Uh, is going to, no. to do, you have to get sixty seven votes. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Even if the Democrats control the Senate, you're not going to get him thrown out of office. It's no. just it's a waste of time in, in many ways. Yeah. So thanks, GOP. We gave you House, Glenn, Senate, Beth, and the administration. Mercury. What did you do with it? Matt Walsh is a uh, one of just a great, great writer uh, and somebody who really sees the uh, world and refuses to go down the path of insanity. Uh, he wrote for many years for The Blaze. He's now with The Daily Wire. I have been following his work on what's happening with the Catholic Church because he's Catholic. And I'd, I'd like to get somebody's opinion who doesn't have an axe to grind uh, with religion or the Catholic Church. So, Matt, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Glenn. Thanks for having me. So, uh, can you tell me what the hell happened with the Pope yesterday? Well, uh, that's, I mean, what, that, there's a few things going on, but um, I think the thing that's caught a lot of people's eyes here in, in, in the United States is that uh, he got up and, and said that uh, Satan is at work in the church, which I, I agree with that part of it, but uh, he said that Satan is at work amongst the accusers Satan is the great accuser, and he is uh, he is you know victimizing the poor bishops through. I, I guess I didn't specify any more than that, but I guess he's saying that uh, the people that are accusing the bishops are Satan, and um, and uh, and also the faithful Catholics who are demanding answers. I guess we are also in league with Satan. Uh, that appears to be what the what the Pope is is insinuating, and I find it I find it absolutely horrific. Tell me a little bit about the the scandal in Pennsylvania, because depending on who you're listening to, uh, I don't know who to believe. Uh, you know, you 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 listen to the New York Times and their spin is, yes, these things happened, but most of them happened a long time ago. Uh, and the while the the Pope was involved a little bit, it's more on the fringes. And this is only being brought up because. This is a war between the people who want a more traditional church and, you know, the, the people who agree with Francis. Yeah, it's a very weird thing for, um, for you know, traditional, quote-unquote traditional Catholics like myself. It's a weird thing to see the media all of a sudden circling the wagons around the Vatican. It's just yeah. it, we've never seen anything like this. Yeah. Usually, they're, usually they're very eager to, uh, Tear to it apart. You know, blame the Vatican for anything. But... So in in in, uh, in Pennsylvania, you do have you know you have the grand jury report from about a month ago, I guess now, 
which uh, talks about abuses among among uh, priests and also cover-ups uh, by bishops. And that dates back, you know, it goes back, I think, 50 or 60 years. And much of it, a good, a good percentage of, of those abuses um, were, you know, 20 years or, or, or more older. Um, and so I guess some apologists are now using that as a reason to say, well, look, well, this, this problem has been contained since then, so this is old news. And maybe they could get away with that. Maybe they could get away with that excuse, if not for the fact that there has been this problem in dioceses across the country. And now they're talking about another investigation in New York, another one in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have two other things as well. You've got Cardinal McCarrick, in, the most prominent cardinal in the United States. Who has been? Uh, who's, who's? You know, all this information is coming out about him now and his abuse, not just of children, but of seminarians, of young men. And then you've got someone in the Vatican, a high-ranking former high-ranking official, who wrote an 11-page letter indicting the Pope himself and accusing him personally of covering up. So all of these things together just make it impossible to. Uh, minimize this or to claim that it's all in the past because it's not. This is right now. These are things happening right now. And what about the claim that this cardinal in the 11-page letter, this guy has been against Francis the whole time and is just using this to try to get to Francis? Well, number one, it's irrelevant. That's just that's just a character assassination. Even if it's true, even if it's true that he's he's got some kind of axe to grind with Pope Francis, that doesn't mean that he's wrong about what he's saying. The, the, the question is, is, are the accusations true or not? And it's it's very relevant that of all the men accused by Vigano, Archbishop Vigano, the accuser, of all the men accused by none of them have actually denied it, not a single one, including the Pope. But secondly, that's actually not true. This, this, this uh, Archbishop Vigano has had a long reputation as someone who is a whistleblower, who uh, is, stands against corruption, you know, is not afraid to, to root out corruption. That's what he has, that's what he has a, 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 a reputation for. He doesn't have a reputation for trying to undermine the Pope. This is the first time he's ever done this. You know, as the Pope, the Pope has, has been there for six or seven years. It's the first time Vigano has, has, has come out and said anything like this against the Pope. So I just, I think that accusation is just incorrect. So what does the average Catholic do now? What, what are they, what are they thinking? Yeah, well, that's a million dollar question. I, you know, and, I, and there are a lot of Catholics who, you know, I hear from a lot of Catholics and talk to a lot of Catholics personally, and many of them are on the edge of, or over the edge of despair at this point. Uh, because they just look at the church and they and they think, well, I think for a lot of, especially for a lot of devout Catholics, I'm talking about the ones who really care about their faith and go to church and really try to live according to it. The thing is, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not easy to live according to the teachings of the church. It, a lot is asked of us, and I think rightfully so. But then when we look, and you know, we're we're, we're trying so hard to live according to these teachings and making all the sacrifices necessary, and then we look and we see that the people running the church don't apparently even care about these teachings at all. It's 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 very deflating. But what I would say, you know, as a Catholic, you know, I'm not leaving the church over this. I think either you believe that the Catholic Church is the true faith, and you believe that it has a historical claim to being the true church, or not. And if you don't believe that, then I guess you're not Catholic. You shouldn't be Catholic. But if you do believe that, then I think these scandals, as awful as they are, they don't change that. They don't change that simple thing. All they mean, and we should keep in mind as Christians. That look, I mean, G- Jesus Christ chose twelve apostles. One denied him. One, one betrayed him. Only one was was there with him at the cross on Calvary. So um, there, there's there's a long precedent of of this kind of uh, treachery going all the way back to the very beginning. The Pope, however, being the leader, I mean, when I saw this story break, uh, we were on the air, and I said, you know, if I'm the Pope, I get onto the plane today. And I hold a press conference in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, and I say, 
I am here because we take this seriously and the children are the most precious to us. I mean, you want to be Francis. That's what you do. Um, and you you hit it straight on for him to 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 not answer any of the questions um, and and then on top of it to come out later and say, well, you know, it's the devil is making people do this is, in my opinion, obscene. I mean, it is obscene. I mean, there's 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 you know, you could use a lot of different words to describe it. Um, I think that the pope's behavior throughout this entire scandal and apparently going back, you know, through his entire papacy, according to Vigano, his behavior has been cowardly. Um, it's been despicable. I mean, like I said, it, it's just, and it, for, again, for a devout Catholic to say those kinds of things about the Pope, I mean, I don't say that kind of stuff lightly. I mean, I, I would say that lightly maybe about a politician, but I don't say it lightly about the Pope um, because I do have so much res- obvious respect for the office of the Pope. But because of that, and I, when I see what this man is doing to that, office and how in my opinion he's acting in ways that are disgraceful i think we have no choice but as catholics but to, but to stand up and say that so what does that disappear what does that mean does it, is there a chance this pope is removed from office or leaves office because of this as far as i know there's not any way to actually remove a pope uh, because he's not a president and you know he can't really be impeached as far as i know um However, I do think that uh, bishops and cardinals and the laity, if they were to stand up in essentially one voice and say there need to be big changes, this pope has failed us, uh, he needs to step down, I think if that pressure was 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 put on and and and, and, pe- and there were enough people saying that and being consistent in their outcry, um, I think maybe this pope could be, let's say, encouraged to step down. But and I think I hope that will happen. I think it should. I don't think it will, though, because this Pope has obviously shown what his strategy is going to be, and that's going to be, number one, to ignore the charges that are specifically against him. He said nothing about them. And then, number two, to recast the entire thing as, uh, you know, essentially making the, bish- the bishops into victims. And in order to get past that, what's, what would be needed is, you know, the, the laity would need to stay focused on this issue, no. even, as the, even as the media forgets about it and disregards it, and as Pope doesn't address it, we would have to stay focused. But unfortunately, in you know modern society, it's hard to keep people focused and concentrated on one issue for very long. So I'm afraid that like a month from now, nobody's going to be talking about this anymore, and the Pope will have just essentially gotten away with it. That's what I'm afraid is going to happen. Matt, this this guy has not been you know traditional, and he's you know he's he's done a lot of things that a lot of Catholics or traditionalists would say. Okay, that's really weird. This is in a totally different category. Would you have ever expected this pope to react this way to a scandal this big? No, I didn't. Although now that I see him acting this way, I see that there are plenty of reasons. There's plenty of precedent for it because this is actually been his. This has been his pattern. Maybe not with scandal with, with with scandals up until now, but where he'll say something or issue some kind of proclamation or write something that's very confusing to conservative Catholics, and we're thinking, wait, wait, is he contradicting Catholic teaching? What's going on here? And then he's asked to clarify, and he just refuses to. He's been doing that for the last six years. Um, so now he's just taking that strategy and applying it to this. But no, I didn't. When, 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 these, when these allegations came out against him personally, I really did not. I, I honestly thought that he would at least say something within the first couple of days. The fact that he said nothing is, to me, I mean, it's really shocking to me. And uh, I, as I said, I find it utterly completely disgraceful i mean for him to take the name of francis 
I don't think this is the way St. Francis would have dealt with it. No, certainly not. And this is, I mean, this is, this is not how any pope or not, this is not how any Christian should, should respond. And I, and I, you know, there are some people that have made excuses for the pope saying, well, when Jesus was accused, uh, he, he didn't say anything. You know, when, when Herod accused, when, when he was talking to Herod, <laughs> Jesus refused to respond. But this is not the same thing. And the, the problem, when, when Jesus refused to answer accusations against him, the reason why, in those cases, why he refused, is because the accusations were disingenuous. They were made in bad faith. The people that were saying it didn't really mean it, didn't really care. They were just looking for an excuse to crucify him. And Jesus knew that, so he wasn't going to entertain it or humor it. That's why Jesus remained silent. That's not the case here. People are, there's actually real scandal going on. People are legitimately distressed and in despair over it, and they want some leadership and they want answers. And so for the Pope to, to look at those people and treat them like we're all a bunch of Herods is, uh, I mean, it's unthinkable. Matt Walsh, thank you very much. Um, we'll continue to read your, uh, your blog on the, the Daily Wire, and, uh, and uh, thank you for keeping us abreast on what's happening. Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire. I've been telling you about Goldline's new Silver Maple Flex card that allows you to break off smaller pieces for barter and trade. This is a silver bar here. Uh, it's worth, I think it's, is it, uh, it's one, so it's two, I think this is two ounces of uh, silver. When it comes to protecting yourself, your family, your portfolios, you want to make sure you have maximum flexibility and diversity. It's why I have both gold and silver. I mentioned before, um, when I talked to uh, Goldline, I asked them to create a, a bar of gold uh, that you could carry around, that you could break up in small little pieces and carry it around in case you know you ever found yourself in trouble and keep it something you could even keep in your wallet. Well, this is the same thing, except it's a Maple Flex bar, uh, from the Canadian Mint, and it's all made out of silver. It holds uh, five individually sealed uh, one ten-ounce gold bars. They're also minted by the uh, Royal Canadian Mint. This has uh, quarter ounce, uh, let's see, one tenth of an ounce and one twentieth of an ounce silver. So if things went really badly, you're going to be able to use this. You owe it to yourself to call Goldline and learn more about gold or silver and find out if it's right for you. Ask them about the Maple Flex bar and also the Maple Flex uh, in, in gold as well. 866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck. Two to four million people are bought and sold across international borders every year. 50% of those human slaves are the most innocent of all of us, children. The average age of those kids is a horrifying 11 to 14 years old. It's a $32 billion a year industry. Just hearing these numbers makes everything seem utterly hopeless. But there is hope. A group of heroes are on the ground operating in the deepest, darkest corners of the world, fighting for every single child. So I stole away in the bathroom, the uh, girls are here, um, bust is gonna happen any second now, uh, cops are on their way, so uh, hopefully this all goes down safely, and hopefully the bad guys go away and we save all these kids here. We followed Operation Underground Railroad on a hair-raising and intense operation to rescue multiple child slaves. What's it like to be one of the heroes? Tune in to The Glenn Beck Show, tonight at 5 p.m. Eastern, only on The Blaze TV. Remarkable. 
was just it's just remarkable what's happening you know and uh, when that promo said you know hearing those kinds of numbers things seem hopeless it, to me it actually seems uh, it puts everything into perspective it makes everything else seem worthless you know what i mean yeah. all the arguments that we're having right now i'm just i just i urge you to break your addiction to that uh, and uh, disengage in that. And let's start doing things. It's September 12th. It's September 12th. Recommit yourself to do the things that actually make a difference. On September 12th, we all looked at each other, and we all said to one another, I can't believe how fragile this thing is. I, I mean, we're at war. We could lose this. We are closer to losing it than we were on 9-11 today. And we're not talking about just America. We're talking about the entire Western world. Commit yourself to breaking the addiction to outrage and the game that is being played. And I, and I urge you to understand the game because it's not the game that was being played in 2001 or 2008 or 2012 or even 2016, this is the end game. I firmly believe this is the end game. And I try to outline it the best I can in the new book, Addicted to Outrage. As a friend of mine who just read it, uh, finished last night, said, it's like three books in one. And he said, I kept, I, as I was reading it, I kept thinking, why aren't there, you know, you should have written three books. And he said, then I got to the, the uh, the th- third section, and I realized, oh, of course, you it has to be in one book. It has to be this way. Change your thinking and change your life. Addicted to Outrage is available in bookstores next week. It's available online right now at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Uh, more in a minute. Glenn Beck. Today is 9-12, the day America came together. 9-11, we were frightened. 9-12, we were Americans. And we weren't pumping our fist in the air. We were, we were humble with open hearts and open hands to help. Recommit yourself to that. Huge, devastating hurricane is headed towards now the Carolinas and all the way down uh, the eastern seaboard. It looks like it's going to arrive tomorrow and then just ride the coast and go south, which is a worst case scenario. It's if it if it actually hits this way, it's a worst case scenario. Please help. You can go to mercuryone.org. We are already stationing uh, supplies. We have over 200 semi-trucks on the road right now with water and food and shovels and chainsaws and everything else. Please, we could use your assistance at mercuryone.org. I want to start this hour with, imagine going into school, going into class, college, high school, anything, and your professor puts this on your desk and says, we need you to sign this. And it says, please drop the class immediately if you're triggered by free speech, the free exchange of ideas or people who express and defend ideas or opinions that differ from your own. 
Please drop the class immediately if you're triggered by open, direct, and adult discussion of issues, including but not limited to uh, issues of faith, war, violence, race, gender, or sexuality. Please drop the class immediately if you're triggered by recurring encounters with heterosexuality, traditional gender identities, sympathetic representations of Christianity or religion in general, positive examples of free markets and capitalism, or an unapologetic uh, encounter with patriotism hierarchies and meritocracy based institutions or attitudes drop the class immediately if you feel entitled to censor the thoughts or words of others or insist they tailor their language or attitudes to your preferences i will tell you that if i would have seen i would have laughed i would have thought it was a joke i guess if it was happening in a communist country i would have said wow i gotta get home But who would disagree with that? We're going to talk to the professor who actually has to write this uh, document and have his students sign it. Next. It's Wednesday, September 12th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Associate Professor, University of Wisconsin. Oof. Uh, from, uh, uh, from Wisconsin, Oshkosh. Uh, he is uh, James Duke Pesta. Do you prefer to be called Duke or, or James or Jim or Duke, please? Duke. Thank you. So Duke, uh, I, I mean, I can't even imagine sitting in a class and, and receiving this. What is the reaction when you pass this out? You know, it's interesting, um, and I, I, I respect the oof you gave me when you mentioned the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Um, the, re- the response I get from kids is almost overwhelmingly what you said. They kind of, their eyes widen, they laugh a little bit. Um, and a lot of them come, I had a kid, classes started for us this week. And so I had a kid when I gave it out yesterday for the first time who came up to me afterwards and she wanted to know if I had three copies for her grandparents and her dad who could just love it. Um, mm. the, the response has been really positive. And I think these kids, even, even progressive kids, when I get liberal kids in my classes, they will say to me, you know, it's just nice to have an environment where we can talk about things without fear of having to please the professor. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. Um, I see these, these protests happening and I see these classes that are being shut down and people come in and they're like, you know, uh, you know, chanting something and then everybody has to chant back. And I've noticed that most of the students are not chanting back. It's almost like everybody's just like, Oh dear God. Okay. Just get it over with. Um, is, is, are, are, are the students today open to hearing uh, other opinions? They're just not getting the chance to hear other opinions? I think the really strong majority, the silent majority of college kids, they're paying for these classes. They've taken out student loans. They signed up for courses. They wouldn't have signed up for a course if they thought that course was going to just be nothing but insulting to them. So they signed up for courses in goodwill, and they're willing to give teachers. And more than teachers, they're willing to give books a fair hearing. It's a very small number of these protesters that seem to uh, drive the reaction. And a lot of, again, like a lot of liberal kids I've talked to, a lot of my progressive students, they just roll their eyes at it. Um, and so I think you're right, exactly, that it's a small number and they're very vocal. But I do think we have created we, the faculty and the administration oh, yeah. has allowed there to become 
a, a climate of fear. It's, it's, it's worse than McCarthyism. It's this argument, this idea that the, these kids know that if they make one false slip or they say the wrong thing or they use the wrong pronoun, God forbid, uh, uh, when they're addressing somebody, that they could be uh, put into a very invasive investigation process. And so I think that uh, the, the reason more kids aren't speaking out is because the faculty and the administration have the back of a handful of protesters at the expense of uh, the vast majority of their own students. What is this going to mean when they get out of school? If they're used to this and they've seen this work? Well, I think we see it culturally, right? What is Antifa? What is the fact that you've got all these young social media executives, the 20-somethings who are working at Google and Facebook and Twitter, who gleefully go about their business uh, censoring and pulling conservative websites off, loading algorithms to uh, bury conservative news. I think you see it uh, in our young athletes, right? The younger athletes that are graduating now who are uh, shockingly ignorant of history, can't string a sentence together, but very often are the, quick, are the quickest to kneel for uh, any cause. I think you see it across the board in our culture uh, that younger, younger generations, that's a statistic that you guys have talked about uh, very eloquently, when you've got something like 57% of young millennials who see socialism positive, I think that's what we're in for a lot more so uh, i want to talk to you a little bit about postmodernism because you wrote a book uh the renaissance and and uh, the postmodern uh and uh i I, it's it's amazing to me the more i read about postmodernism which i I believe is the root of this problem would you agree with that first absolutely okay um so but as i read about postmodernism and i see how it was designed who it was designed by why it was designed I can't think of anything that is positive. It's all about destruction and destruction of really bringing us back at best case scenario to the Renaissance. Best case where some thinkers are there, but they're going to be locked in a tower and they have to keep it secret and they have to write in code. Yeah, I think the fundamental premise of all progressive post because progressive progressivism is behind this and i've made this argument many times i think the single underreported story about our university campuses forget the intolerance forget uh, the bias response teams forget all that i think the biggest problem we have and no one's talking about it is how did we allow radically leftist activist political uh, philosophy to be the way we force kids to read books across the humanities, whether you're in art history or history or philosophy or English or sociology or anthropology. You are reading books now when you get them, not for what the books say, but you're reading them as feminist readings or Marxist readings or environmentalist readings. The entire methodology of postmodernism is deconstructive. There's actually a philosophy called deconstruction. Uh, An obscure French theorist by the name of Jacques Derrida formulated it. And the entire premise is, is that words don't mean what they say they mean if you want them not to. And so you go through books rather than trying to learn from them, rather than trying to stand on the shoulders of giants and, and add to the common civilizational knowledge of the last 2,000 years of Western culture, you are instead taking an axe to the very root of liberty, of equality, of freedom, of reason, of logic. I mean, we see the degree to which even in the math and science programs now on college campuses, they're calling the scientific method a holdover of white supremacy, the emphasis on logic and correct answers in math classes and Common Core. You guys have talked about this. Uh, it's not so important anymore that, that holding kids accountable to a standard of math is itself a kind of oppression. And so you're right. It's exactly right. It's completely deconstructive. It pulls, it, it's a wrecking ball. It's, and I tell my students uh, every day, every, the first day of every class, I say with postmodernism, 
you don't have to contribute anything. You just have to know how to knock things over. It's easy to knock things down. It's really hard to build them. So what is the what is the answer? I mean, you know, you you're getting press because you you put this statement out and it's incredible to me that you have to do that. Um, it's incredible to me that you've made the statement, you know, hey, most kids are are open to giving books a chance. <laughs> what? Uh, I mean, it's incredible. What is what is the solution to this cancer that is eating at us? I honestly think there are a lot of solutions, and they're, they're at a lot of levels. Some of it's financial, parents pulling their kids out. The fact that a lot of our kids really are going to college because they think they have to, they don't really need to. But if you ask me as a, as a professor of English, and you know, I'm, I think I'm the only conservative English professor I've met in 25 years as a professor. I, I can't think of seven different universities. I can't think of another one I've worked with. Uh, and if you ask me, the single biggest problem we have is exactly that. If you allow kids to read the great books of Western culture as they are written, they will not turn out to be uh, social justice warriors. 25 years ago when I got started, Glenn, they, what they were doing was they were um, putting the texts of Western culture alongside postmodern texts. Mm-hmm. So kids got to read Shakespeare, but then they would read a feminist argument about Shakespeare. And nine times out of ten, kids recognized that Shakespeare was greater than the feminist theory. He was a greater thinker. And then recently what we've done over the last ten years is we've started removing the great authors over and over again, replacing in literature and history and philosophy highly politic- politicized texts, right? So you're reading Tanisi Coates now in history rather than reading Adam Smith. And so you're already now reading books that start from a social justice mindset more, more than you're not, then the theory that you're allowed to engage those books with is all progressive political activist left-wing theory. And so there is no way for kids now to even see uh, through a, a, an, a, a clear window what the great minds of Western culture have thought. If we can go back to depoliticizing the way kids read books. Let kids first read Shakespeare or Milton or or Chaucer from the context of the cultures that wrote them. Uh, Then we would go a long way to reclaiming sanity on a college campus. But of course, this is the one thing the professors don't want to do, because if they do that, then their social justice message uh, gets watered down and undercut. Yeah, if you're you're only teaching from the postmodern perspective, you can easily create this feeling that, well, you're just too stupid to get it um, and you're just not in on the in crowd. And it's, you know, it's it's people who applaud when everybody else is applauding or people who laugh. And it's a common instinct. People who laugh when everybody else is laughing, even though you don't really get the joke. Um, uh, but if you if you have something beside it, I've I've seen students who are starving for something that makes sense to them. And when they hear it, they're like, oh, my gosh, how come I'm not how come I've never heard this before? Bingo. I think the greatest compliment I've ever gotten as a teacher is not the I love you. Your classes are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I get kids come up to me and say to me, how come, Dr. Pesta, I'm 24 years old. How come I've never heard this before in my schooling? How come 20 years of school, no one's ever said this to me? It's really easy to blow away uh, the smoke cloud of theoretical liberalism if you hit them with good ideas that are grounded in good arguments. Uh, That's what Western culture has done better than any culture, the great writers of Western culture. And yet it's so obscured to our kids. I'll give you a a real short anecdote. First day of class, kids were reading, just, this was just yesterday, kids were reading the first two, two acts of Measure for Measure, Shakespeare's great play, Measure for Measure. And so the, when we were talking about it, I asked them, I said, okay, so how'd you do? And one girl raised her hand and she said, look, it was very hard. I didn't really understand it. I said, okay, because no one's ever taught you to read Shakespeare. She goes, that's right. I said, so tell me what you took from it. 
she said, well, I could tell that the, the women were victims and the men were oppressors. <laughs> and I said to her, how do you know that? She goes, honestly, because of my other classes. I don't know it from being able to read the play. And I said to her, have you ever read The Brothers Karamazov? She said, no. I said, right now, do for me a feminist reading of The Brothers Karamazov, even though you've never read it. The whole class laughed, and she looked at me for a second, and then she said, well, the men are oppressors and the women are victims. And I said, bingo. I said, to do the kind of progressive leftist readings that you are required to do in our English department, you don't even have to read stupid books anymore. You can just say what you said, and you have mastered, from our perspective, what we want you to take away from books, but you will know nothing about what the actual text said. And she agreed with me. Wow, I wish there were more people like you in the university. Um, uh, Duke, uh, thank you so much. I, I hope to meet you uh, someday. I know you are instrumental and have been in, in Common Core and getting, you know, getting that beast uh, exposed. And I, I just thank you for your courage. Uh, thank you for continuing to stand, not giving in. For anybody who's a new professor or a young professor, got any tips? You know, um, don't keep your powder dry. What, what I was told is keep your powder dry till you get tenure and then speak your mind. I never did it. It cost me a lot of trouble. But looking back at my life now as a professor, I'm glad I spoke out even before I wasn't protected. Because if we start doing more of that, there's more hope for all of us. Dr. Duke, thank you so much. Thank uh, you very much, Glenn. You bet. You can find him at, uh, at Duke Pesta, P-E-S-T-A, or the DrDukeShow.com. I think that's a show I want to watch or listen to or whatever it is he's doing, unless he's dancing. It's amazing to hear someone in the middle of that. I mean, that, that's all the stuff that you talk about in Addicted Outrage. It's, and he's actually in the middle of it, dealing with it on an everyday basis. It's scary because once they learn that approach to everything, if someone isn't there like this professor to step up and stop them and get them to rethink it. And they're not. It's yeah. He it's, just said, I'm, I think I'm the only conservative uh, English professor in the country. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's saying something. All right. I want to tell you about uh, Casper. How are you sleeping? Are you waking up rested? Are you waking up uh, after a full night's sleep? Are you tossing and turning? Are you waking up several times a night? There, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. I got to the point to where I hated going to bed. Hated it. Because I was not going to sleep. And so I'd toss and turn all night. I hated it. Part of the problem is the right bed. You have to have a great mattress that fits you. I want you to try Casper. You can try it in your own home for 100 nights. If it's not yours, you know, if it's not for you, if you don't love it, because not everybody's going to love it because we're all different. If you don't love it, they'll come and pick it up and refund every penny. But you got to try it in your own home, unlike, you know, where you go to stores. I've purchased beds like that. You go into a store and you flop around on it for 20 minutes and you're in your clothes and, and your shoes and everything else. And you're like, I, I guess I like this one, I guess. I, you don't know. You can get home and, and it's horrible. Casper.com slash Glenn. Casper.com slash Glenn. Try it out for 100 nights risk-free. Use the promo code Glenn. You're going to get $50 off the purchase of select mattresses. It's promo code Glenn at Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. I'll do a uh, Facebook Live here in uh, probably about 35 minutes. You can find it on my Facebook page. Uh, also, tonight, we have an amazing uh, 5 o'clock show for you. 
about the uh, about a, res- a rescue uh, operation in Peru, I believe Peru, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, where uh, our cameras went with, and one of our guys uh, was you know part of the team, and you know at one point he's he goes into the bathroom all by himself just to make a report. Okay, this is <laughs> the police are about to come. This is really creepy, and uh, it's it's really kind of a cool inside look at that. And then we have uh, the news and why it matters, which is a very fast growing podcast. Um, on iTunes, and uh, you can watch the first half hour of it on uh, the Blaze TV, and the podcast gives you something for your whole drive home, uh, and it's the uh, the news and why it matters. You can find that uh, now and subscribe to the podcast. Had Eric Bowling on there uh, last night. Yeah, yeah. from um, He's on CRTV now. He used to be on Fox Business and yeah. Fox News a lot. Yeah, uh, he, we get kind of a bunch of guests that pop in on that show and it's uh, kind of as part of the roundtable. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. the people who are just kind of here and you, you necessarily wouldn't know that they were here. We're just kind of popping them in on, on that and and hearing their take. Yesterday was really interesting uh, because uh, he's such a big fan of Donald Trump. He's friends with him, right? He's good friends. Yeah. Good friends with him. Talks to him several times a week, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Um, uh, I did a I did a podcast with him after I did his show and he did the news of why matters and then I did an about an hour interview with him and I wanted to talk to him about the loss of his son and uh, yeah, he's been through you know that's been also I mean it's been a crazy couple of years here horrible Eric yeah horrible horrible uh, and it was last weekend that was the anniversary of his son's <laughs> death so it was really raw um, and we'll tell you when that 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 is um, that's out. Also, tomorrow night, I'm going to be doing a book signing, a virtual book signing. You know, I'm doing the tour all around the country, and I would love to see you. Just go to glenbeck.com, look for the tour, and uh, you'll be able to see where we're coming. We're coming to a city near you. It's a stage show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's going to be a lot of lessons in there, uh, audience uh, conversation uh, with me as well, um, and, and a lot of fun. So join us, and uh, you can find those tickets at glenbeck.com. Uh, and slash also, tour. Sl- mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. Yep. <laughs> and the virtual signing is tomorrow night, uh, and you can find out that information as well at glenbeck.com. We'll sign your book and talk to you online tomorrow. That's 8 p.m. tomorrow night. All the information at glenbeck.com. Back in a minute. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program, Mr. Pat Cray. How are you? Oh, outraged, of course. Outraged, yeah. as always. You know. Oh, my gosh. Isn't I, everybody? Yeah, no, I mean, there's nothing. There's Addicted to outrage. Nothing better. Nothing better. What are you outraged about today? Uh, you know who D.C. McAllister is? She's a writer for PJ Media. She's yeah. a contributor there. She's a frequent sure. guest on Fox News. She had the unmitigated goal. No, she did not. She did. Oh, come on. She tweeted about abortion. Intersectionality right now. It's happening. She's oppressing somebody. Oh, my gosh. You talk about a misogynist woman. Wait. She's the definition of a misogynist woman. Wow. Sexist, misogynist. Listen to what she said. I want to take her vagina away. I wish we could. Can I, we? I wish we could. Can we? Linda Sarsour. We I know she ask. likes to do that. <laughs> she likes to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, that has nothing to do uh, with female genital mutilation. No. Um, no although no. that's why Linda Sarsour wants to take people's vaginas away. They're only the people who have been mutilated and mm. are speaking out against it. Mm. Okay. But anyway, go ahead. We can, we can probably get her on board. We'll work on that afterwards. Okay. And you're going to want to. Okay. Because uh, here's what she... 
It's what yes. you tweeted. Yes. At the root of abortion hysteria mm-hmm. is women's unhinged desire for irresponsible sex. Sex is their God. Abortion is their sacrament. It's abhorrent as women have flung themselves from the heights of being the world's civilizing force to the muck and mire of dehumanizing depravity. How dare she say that about the sacrament of abortion? Can you believe it? Okay, hang on. Let's take that, let's take that line by line. Okay. Go ahead. At the root of abortion hysteria is women's unhinged desire for irresponsible sex. Stop. Not entirely true, but true. Yeah, I mean, you could argue whether it's the degree. root or not, yes, right? Yes, but I mean, yes. it's, oh, this has come right. along with the, I mean, the sexual revolution. Sexual re- revolution. Yes. Next sentence: Sex is their god. Yeah, maybe uh, for some. Maybe for some. Maybe for some. Abortion is their sacrament. I think that's, that's yes. a true statement. Uh, it's basically the most important thing on to, the left. To the left, it is. Uh, but any, not necessarily. Not necessarily by those who, if you're just going to have promiscuous sex. And you don't care. And your birth control is abortion. I'm talking about the women who have abortion after abortion after abortion after abortion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're thinking about that as a sacrament. They don't really care. I mean, I don't think they're even paying it. They're it's just, a, it's just, that's the way of life. It's sacred to, to the politics of the left. Though. Yes, it is. That is, mm-hmm. that is um, sacred zone. So from that standpoint, it kind of is their sacrament. Yes. It's abhorrent as women have flung themselves from the heights of being the world's civilizing force to the muck and mire of dehumanizing depravity. Wow, it's a powerful statement. Except not entirely true. Women were not... um, Women have been depraved like men have been depraved. You know, Rome. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't... they're 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 not born like, oh my goodness, well, let's just make pies. They're not born that way. Society, I think... I think you have a natural maternal instinct, but society also plays a big role. That Judeo-Christian uh, uh, role uh, in all of our lives changes us. So women are just being encouraged and trained now to be just as depraved as, as some men are. Mm-hmm. But remember, nurses were also part of eugenics in Germany. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, they weren't necessarily fighting against it either. Well, immediately, uh, the left went ape crap crazy. Um, it, why are you, why are you uh, appropriating the apes? <laughs> it's also racist, right? Uh, you can't reference an ape in any context mm-hmm. anyway. Well, so, no, not crazy apes, so, especially. Right. They called her crazy. They, of course, uh, said she's misogynist. They threatened uh, death, rape. Um, and she is now in hiding with her children because great the threats were, she said it wasn't just over Twitter. It was all kinds of, uh, private platform communication. Well, can I tell you something? I think we need to talk about that one white house person that needs to have security because of what Trump is saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Except here's why does the, that person huh. need security? If we don't know who it is. Here's a woman mm-hmm. who is actually in hiding. Yeah. Yeah. Which one's feminism? The one that threatens a woman's life or the one who protects? I mean, you know, again, the argument, you can agree with it or not, but we can all agree that if the policies she's recommending in the tweet came true, a lot more women would be alive. That that part we can all 100% agree on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be well, more women Well, except for those alive. who were born as cactus. 
There's not, there's, that does not occur. No, that's we're not, not a, sure that that's a baby in there. It's not we're a scientific. not sure that's a baby. Not only would there be more women, there'd be more blacks. There'd be more Hispanics. Mm-hmm. There There'd might be more, be more cactus. Native Americans. There might be. There might be. There might. There, there might be, be more new mink coats. You don't know if that grows into a mink coat. Mm. Spatula. Know. Who knows? Spatula. Yeah. I've know. seen a lot of spatulas right. come out. So there could be. I just want to be fair here. Mm-hmm. There might be more boys. There might be more girls. But there also might be more spatulas, cactus, and coats. <laughs> I have a uh, proposal in 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 the. The vein of your or your book, addicted to outrage. Um, you know, occasionally, and this, you want to try to find some common ground. Mm-hmm. What if we change the law from what it is now to that you could only abort white men? So anyone that so if a white if you find mm-hmm. out it's white and it's a boy, you can abort that. But everything else, you have to actually let you know live and stuff. In a I bet crazy, they might agree with that. In they a crazy along with and in a crazy upside down world. I would actually go for it because it would cut the, it would cut the abortions in half yeah, or, or more. Probably about like 70 mm-hmm. percent. If you're only having, I mean, you know, obviously other a, a black uh, boy right, being well, born or a an Asian boy being born. All well, those would have to be born. But white men, you can abort them. There you go. They will give you will give you a white men. That's how much we don't care. That's how much this is not about women's rights. And it's not about uh, it's not about anything other than keeping people alive. Letting people have the opportunity to form a life. Just that would be a huge win. <laughs> Why wouldn't you take Sadly, it? Sadly, it would. Because it's mass it. abortion. I mean, it's yeah. insane, take but it, it would. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Now, if you're in the kitchen, you might have a shortage of spatulas. Yeah, you might. Because you the, know, spatulas would, the spatulas would be born. Oh, no, spatulas would be born. You oh, you're spatulas. right. You're right. You're just right. not white men. Right. And mink coats. <laughs> yeah. So that might be... Uh, that might Stra- be straight, uh, straight white men. We have to make sure... Straight, straight white men. Right. Would and and, and no how other, do we test for straight? I don't know. We've got to figure that out. That's a top and priority. May I ask now. you, how do we do this if gender is fluid? Oh. Mm. And, and how do we tell Uh-oh. if it's oh, a no. how do we tell if it's even human if we can't if we don't know if it's human in there? Yeah, we don't, we don't know. know that. We don't even know that. We don't know that. We don't even we we know, know it now. Like uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz said, her her kids are human now. Right. Well, were they human in the womb? They're human now. Right. They're human, They're now. human now. She wouldn't even admit her own children are hu- were human. <laughs> I mean, to, 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 that, to that level. Is there it, a possibility that there are lizards growing inside of women? Well, if you listen to Alex Jones, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you point out the, how sacred it is to the point that Debbie Wasserman Schultz won't even admit her own children are children. Uh-huh. Um, did you see this thing that's happened with Kamala Harris and now today Hillary Clinton coming out and doubling down on it with Brett Kavanaugh? Now, the idea is that Brett Kavanaugh is saying that birth control is abortion inducing drugs. So they're going back to the Cory Booker ban birth control playbook here, saying that actually what Republicans think is they're all going to try to ban birth control as soon as you're not looking. And Brett Kavanaugh is going to be on this bandwagon. So what he said was uh, filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of abortion inducing drugs that were as a religious matter objecting to. So he is on the record here saying that Birth control is an abortion-inducing drug, which opens up the door for them to try to ban it. The only minor problem, and this only happened after Kamala Harris tweeted the audio, is she left off two words. The words? Is not. They said. Oh. He's talking about someone's argument in court. They said filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of abortion-inducing drugs that they were, as a religious matter, objecting to. 
She cut it off after they said and attributed it to uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Unbelievable. And now Hillary Clinton has come in and doubled down on it. So Even bad. after PolitiFact said completely false, four Pinocchios from Washington Post. Four Pinocchios. The whole thing. <laughs> doesn't that seem the whole- <laughs> as the republic is burning down, doesn't it? Well, it did receive four Pinocchios. Doesn't that seem a little... Yeah, we need a little more gravitas to this. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Pat. Pat Gray and the Pat Gray Radio Roundup. And extravaganza. Yeah. The Smoking Cowboys are on. Singing Cowboys Tuesday, Wednesday, Smoking Cowboys. Pat sets them on fire. It's But they're all white men, so... It's okay. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Now, most Americans, if you're like everybody else, and you're not, I mean, why aren't you? I mean, what's wrong with you? If you're like uh, most Americans, your home is going to be the biz- biggest investment that you will ever make. Real estate agents I trust.com was built because we know that. We also know the stress that it takes to sell a house or to buy a new house, moving into an area that you don't know. I mean, you need a real estate agent that knows the area. You need a real estate agent that's like, no, you don't. I mean, you cross this street and it gets a little dicey. People like Stu live there. Mm. Uh, and that's why the home mm. price is just a, such a difference, you know, on the other side of the street. Um, you need somebody who knows the area, who 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 really knows what the houses are worth, where you should move, um, you know, and, and find spends the time finding out about your family. Also, if you're trying to sell your house, you need somebody who has some urgency. And it's not somebody who's like, I was busy at Home Depot all day. This is my part time job. And, uh, you know, I'm just doing this part time. No, I need somebody who actually can talk to me about a marketing plan, because that is the key in selling your home. Who's got the marketing plan? How are they going to market it? How are they going to make sure tons of people see it? Real estate agents, I trust.com. Go there now and sell your home or buy your home. Uh, from real estate agents, uh, I trust.com. They will be with you every step of the way. Real estate agents, I trust.com. Can I ask you a question? Do you think Donald Trump really suggested that we print money to eliminate the the deficit or the debt? I don't know. It's in the Woodward book. Yeah, and, know. You know, who knows if he threw it out there? Even in the Woodward book, it's it's very much he just kind of was throwing out ideas, and uh, you know they claim he brought that up uh, as a. I will tell answer. you, it took me months to understand the money supply. Uh, M one, M two, N three money supply. I mean, it's not something that the average person, you know understands i, I love the, the, you know the left constantly advocates for policies that would include just running the printing presses yes. and then when donald trump apparently reportedly said it in a meeting at one point in his yeah. presidency it's like oh my gosh this guy doesn't know what he's talking about like well you guys have been advocating this policy for decades and we don't have time now but i want to hit something else in the press and finances there is an amazing story from the financial times something that i said was happening something something that i i've told you before i don't have evidence of it but i know they knew the press knew and they kept this from you uh financial story uh financial times in a crisis sometimes you don't tell the whole story it's a guy who who's a writer and it's like i i just have to get this off my chest and it is an incredible story Mm. of deceit and what they kept from you 
So that'll be on tomorrow's program. You don't want to miss. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, I noticed you didn't want to cover uh, the Las Vegas professor who really uh, taught Donald Trump a lesson. Really? <laughs> oh, oh he did, did he get? Did he, he get him? him good this time? Okay. He I'm got looking him good for the burn, time. man. Oh, this is really okay. gonna get you. You're not giving uh, me four Pinocchios, are you? Oh no, this is 100 okay. percent true. All right. Uh, it is. Uh, he apparently. Um, decided to protest Donald Trump and take a, a tough stand. I love it so far. Yeah, because then yeah. he's got, he's sending it's Donald a, a lesson, and and yeah. Donald's going to be like, oh man, what do I do now? Right. Like, it's he's a, like, I'm this president. Is, this is original. Nobody else is thinking this way. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be out protesting. Now anybody can hold up a sign. Sure. Anybody can say something on Twitter. Right? Of course. Uh, what What's the next logical step? If you've gone to all the rallies, you've gone to all the resistance events, you've you blow you, yourself up. You've sent. Well, that's. Cl- <laughs> That's a good idea. Right. He decided instead to shoot himself in in the bathroom to in his arm. Um, he yeah, uh, his he arm. shot his shot himself in the sure arm. You think shooting himself in the foot would be more apropos, right? Uh, but no, he shot himself in the arm. Well, now he can't carry a sign, or it'd be very painful. Right. Uh, that's true. Uh, he had shot himself. Maybe he was so sick of. Of the resistance events and holding signs, he just right. was like, "I'm just going to shoot myself in the arm to get out of this." I don't, I can't go. I, <laughs> my, I hurt my arm. He had shot himself. He said he had shot himself in protest of Donald Trump. The report did not elaborate. He taped a $100 bill to the mirror along with a note that said, "For the janitor." I, I don't know if he was actually thinking he's going to kill himself and messed up. No, I think um, he was leaving. If he did it in a public space, mm-hmm. he was leaving blood splattered everywhere. Right. So. Here's a hundred bucks to clean up all the blood. And I'm sure the janitor was like, hey, man, I clean up the blood for free. Yeah, that's actually but, it's not, know, not for free. He's actually paid to clean up the blood. If someone, yeah. I mean, probably Jeez. it's a really ugly job. Um, but I will say a lot of people are focusing on the idiocy of shooting yourself to protest the president. And that's a very good angle to go on. But may mm. I present another one that I think even might be more delicious? OK. All right. This happened on the uh, campus of uh, the College of Southern Nevada. Uh, he was in the bathroom. And what's with a int- gun. With, with, in a, in the, with the gun. With a gun in the bathroom, he shot himself. Yeah. The part that gets me on this is, in, in days, this will be included in your database of school shootings. Unbelievable. They will find, when they say, there's been 9 billion school shootings this year, included in that number will be from Mother Jones and all these, le- every town for America or whatever the heck it is, all the people against gun violence that come up with these lists and they find thousands of that's school shootings. That's why he did it. I'll bet you that's why he did I, it. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. but that will now show up on the school shooting chart a, but I want a, a you liberal to... professor shooting himself in the arm to protest the president will be used by the left to advance anti-gun laws i just want you to remember though when you hear those stats you can go no that's not true that was professor p brain in the <laughs> bathroom with the gun <laughs> is that what is a clue is that what we're we're Isn't that now. what we're not playing? No, it's not a game of Clue. This really? is a real story. Real story. Yeah. Somebody that stupid. Yes, that stupid. And that's exactly why he, he did it. I'm sure that's why he did it. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. On tomorrow's program, uh, is some amazing, uh, some amazing insight on you know people you trust. People you trust. We'll see you tomorrow Glenn on the radio. Back, Mercury.